Hello listeners, you are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans, and it is led by myself and my co-host Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2021 MLB offseason. Enjoy. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 36. Alex and I come in live to you on November 28th. It's Sunday. It's almost about noon. Uh, just actually enjoyed our Thanksgiving weekend. I hope everyone else had a good Thanksgiving weekend. Um, holidays are around the corner and they're fastly approaching. And along with that is fastly approaching is the off-season acquisitions, as we've seen from this past week, Alex. Uh, we're going to cover all that stuff in this week's episode, going over kind of the big news that has come through this past week. Um, it's been getting real busy and it's going to, I think going to get really busier as we get towards December 1st and the uh, collective bargaining agreement will end for MLB. So me and Alex, of course, we're just going to discuss that today's episode, um, go through kind of the latest acquisitions with the teams. Uh, but first, Alex, I think it's best we start off with the all MLB team that was just announced this past yeah. week. I think it was either Monday or Tuesday. First and second teams. Yeah. So we, uh, of course, you know, all season long, everyone was hearing, you know, what me and Alex thought month by month, who should be on the all MLB team, kind of giving our rankings that way. So they were finally released. Um, me and Alex, I know we're happy with a lot of names, but I think we also are very unhappy with a lot of names mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I think from what me and Alex understand is that this is uh, fans are a part of the voting. And so, because I, vo- I voted for some of it, Travis. No, exactly. I remember, I remember doing that. So, so fans are a part of the voting. They have a big, you know, influential voice. This is done after the postseason, so mm-hmm. a lot of votes are swayed on postseason performances, which I think in in every circumstance that's kind of unfair for those players that did not make the postseason, like a Shohei Otani, where it could affect his status if maybe there is a DH or a starting pitcher that did exceptionally well in the playoffs all the way up to the World Series and they would take over that spot. But I think with the year that Shohei had and the MVP, it was pretty clear to say that he was going to get first team, at least in one of the um, positions. But Alex, let's kind of jump right into it. We'll start off with just by going through the different positions, as we always do um, for all MLB team. And this is at least will be the last time we do an all MLB uh, rankings, probably until the preseason. We can do a preseason all MLB team um, as we focus on 2022. But this will kind of wrap everything up for 2021. Uh, so let's start right away right, with Alex with the uh, catchers. So first team catchers, Salvador Perez for the Royals. Second team was Buster Posey, the Giants. Um, I know I'm I'm happy with that. I had Salvador Perez on my first team when we did the rankings. I know you had Posey. So at least we see those two being in the right direction as first and second team. Yeah. Kind of quickly thoughts on, on, on the catching uh, spot right there. Yeah. So obviously when we did it, I had Posey as my all-mobile catcher. So... By that logic, I think he should be above Perez, of course. But I, I think you could have asked anyone who will be picked for those top two spots, and it will be those two guys. Other guys had good years. Grandal had this kind of crazy year where he walked a ton um, and did not you know, hit for power as well, did not get a lot of contact, and that was a unique season in and of itself. But just kind of the low number of games played he had makes it really uh, different than... 
I would say a more traditional like posy Salvador Perez season where they kind of caught some more. Overall, though, like not I wouldn't say too many big complaints on catcher. Personally, if I had to make a first and second team, I'd probably leave off Salvador Perez, even though he was the home run leader. But you know, I have to kind of pick who else I'd like. Um, because Grandall didn't really have like the games played that I would love like I would have liked to see. Um, Will Smith's guy who's always going to be in that conversation too for the Dodgers. Um, but yeah, I think you know those two were sort of the obvious picks. We both knew that those guys would be there, and the first, t- second team in some order. So I assume you're okay with those two guys as well. Yeah, no, no, the catcher spot, I'm definitely okay with it. Posey was my guy, I think, leading up to like months, maybe July or August, and then with Salvador kind of going on that like home run spree, uh, I had to move him into the, my all first team catcher. But really happy with those. But moving to let's do the right side of the infield, Alex, first and second base. The first team, very obvious, very good choice. Is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first, Marcus Semyon at second. Yep. That's your first team. Second team, we have a pair of, in, of teammates as well. Freddie Freeman at first, Ozzy Albies at second. I guess my with, with me going first, um, first team, 100% agree. We both yeah. had those two. Um, they were clear favorites. Uh, second team, still happy with those choices. Um, I guess the one thing that I will say is one guy that I feel like has left off our list and has been left off so many lists this year is Max Muncy. Max Muncy had himself a great year playing first base. I think he played a little bit of second base, but um, looking at the statistics, I mean, Freddie Freeman, of course, had the home runs and the batting average, had a 300 batting average and had almost all of the percentage stats as well, had a better on base, slightly lower slugging, but had a better OPS than Muncy. But Muncy was right up there too as well. I think he batted about 249 which probably really led to a lot of voters not giving him the nod for a, or for a second team first baseman. So I'm still okay with what they had there. But um, I guess the second team players, what you'd be really, really most made concerned or upset about. What do you think for that right side of the infield spot? Yeah, so uh, personally, I think Freeman is only there because of the postseason. Uh, I think if voting was done prior to the postseason, I can promise you he wouldn't be there. And mm-hmm. that, that, that's just my take. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, I think, you know, the Braves infielders all got a bit of a boost just because of their postseason run, which, you know, it was a great run, obviously. But um, when I think all MLB team, I really wanted to reflect the regular season and how good these guys were over 162 games and not the extra, you know, 15 and 20 that they're going to play if they're in the wild card game or, you know, make a run to the, to the World Series or whatever it might be. So um, essentially, Travis, I think Max Muncy is a good observation. Uh, I think Max Muncy had a higher OPS plus and more baseball reference war than Freeman. Yep, yep. Even though he played, I believe, less games, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then also, Travis, Matt Olson had a much higher OPS+. plus. Matt Olson is someone who kind of got snubbed off a lot of these kind of lists because Guerrero Jr. was so good in the American true, League. Yep. Um, you know, Matt Olson on a normal year when, without this Guerrero Jr. outbreak, Olson probably would have been like the starting uh you first, know first yeah. baseman in mm-hmm. the All-Star game. If you know, But the other problem with that is, Travis, when it comes to voters— the A's are the A's and the fan base is not, you know, as dominant. And then even, even though the fans are not as, you know, prevalent or not a huge fan base, yeah. other teams probably don't support them as much as I feel like tons of people who aren't Braves fans will go and support the Braves players. They, they like Freddie Freeman, but mm-hmm. Olsen's kind of hidden up there in Oakland. So Olsen is a hundred percent somebody who I believe had a better 2021 season than Freeman did. Good point. Yeah. But, um, Olsen is not on this list. It is, of course, Freddie Freeman. And then looking over to second base, Travis, obviously Semyon 
I have no problems at all. Um, Albies, another guy who I think also got there just based on uh, the postseason and the fact that he was on the World Series winner, essentially, because it's not even like he had some crazy monster postseason. But his batting stats this year, Travis, I'm just not, you know, not super impressed with. He had 105 OPS+. plus. He's pretty much a barely above average hitter this year. He had mm-hmm. a 259 average, a 310 on base, a 488 slugging, just three three point four baseball reference WAR. Um, I'll compare that to someone like Altuve, who had four point four baseball reference WAR, and Altuve had a higher batting average and a higher on base, and the OPS is up OPS plus is up at one twenty seven. So a much better hitter, more WAR, probably very similar on the base pass and very similar defenders. Um, I pretty much just think the Braves guys got this boost for the postseason. And Charles, I think the only reason why, you know, should we care about this? I'm not sure. But one reason why we both were happy that they started doing this all MLB, and I love that as a second team too, yep. because when it comes to Hall of Fame time, uh, voting to see who gets in the Cooperstown, or just like kind of saying, oh, how good was, you know, whoever it may be, Pudge Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. well, if they were doing this for the last couple of decades, you'd say, oh, well, he has three first-team all and five second-team all be So yeah. he was this kind of good. You can compare that to like a catcher from a couple of decades ago before that or maybe a modern catcher. Yeah, eight, eight all-MLB selections is, would, be, would be really important to look at. Yeah, so when you're analyzing someone's career, that'd be a super awesome tool to use. Because right now we use all star games, but that's kind of fan voted to first half only. First half only, and uh, not everyone's going to make an MVP yeah. top top of the ML, ML, MVP conversation. So, at the end of the day, we wanted this to be a really cool tool to measure kind of players' performances um, and they, and throughout they, and their they, career. And they really let us down. And, and it's going to tarnish <laughs> the award, of course, because Albies gets second team nod, and you know I don't think he was the second best second baseman this year. And if we look, you know, if, if the Braves become a dynasty or like if they win a couple of World Series this decade, was Albies going to have three or four all MLB second yeah. baseman, which I really just don't think he deserves compared to other guys like Altuve. And yeah. obviously, Semien deserved the first spot. But um, yeah, I, I, that's just kind of our little rant about um, the, the nature of the award. We were really hoping it would be. Uh, I, don't know. I think they need to get away from the fan vote and also have the vote take place before the postseason so we yeah. can get the best reflection of regular season performances but um we can move on to the rest of the infield yeah Travis. yeah so and then we'll, we'll cover shortstop first and then go to third base but shortstop um fernando tatis jr um i think i vote i i had him definitely as my you know end of the regular season he was on my first team shortstop uh you might have had another guy but i know tatis was very influential in your decision making tatis, tatis was my first he was first yeah. one okay okay so we both had tatis at number one so we're both good with that one right there number uh second team shortstop very interesting they went with trey turner of the dodgers trey turner when he came over in the end of july he played majority majority of second base you know Seager yeah. was still a shortstop he played a lot of second base um alex i really think carlos correa i actually don't think i know carlos correa got snubbed on this one uh, in a big way they did not it's funny how because you know the, the fans are going to hate Astros because of everything they've done so the fans are not going to vote for Astros players which you know it's kind of like we just got to get over that right now because it's 2021 it's not 2017 or 18 or whatever so um, Trey Turner winning shortstop you know good for him he's a great shortstop um, you know, he, he's he's one of the top five best probably best shortstops right now in the game but from last year Carlos Correa was one of the top two I think he had the best position player war um in mlb he was an absolute freak when it comes to defense and hitting 
um, it was a disappointing, you know, turnout for that vote for second team. What do you think? Yeah, so I 100% agree that it's it's really just seeing the list. It's like, oh, Carlos Correa did not make this list. I think he finished like sixth or seventh in like AL MVP voting. Like he yep. was really high up yep. there. Um, like you said, led all players, position players in baseball reference war. And then also I think he led in defensive war, which is just like, okay, this guy obviously took a huge step defensively stayed healthy this season the bat showed up um and it's almost kind of funny because he didn't have a crazy postseason either but obviously some fans are using the postseason to judge this Mm -hmm. and somehow turner who had a really bad postseason uh still got the nod travis if trey turner played 162 at shortstop for the nationals this year and had these numbers there'd be a very good argument for him i think Mm -hmm. but you played like 60 some games at second base this season um including all the postseason but Yeah. yeah uh trey turner on the base paths he gets the nod defensively Creo get the nod and then the batting it's pretty comparable but um i would just go ahead and say that considering the time at second base that trey turner had and honestly tatis in the outfield as well to see a true shortstop who also had the crazy war numbers not was, make the top two it's kind of a loss for like the you know the the metrics that say yeah. that Correa was so valuable this season um, definitely according to war so definitely and you're so right with that because uh and it, it's funny how we go off postseason numbers. Trey Turner was not good at all in the postseason. I mean, his numbers were very down. Correa, on the other hand, had a good postseason, had a lot of home runs. So now, um, and it's kind of confusing me. Like, so what did the voters look at? Did and, you care and, about postseason exactly. when it came to the Braves and, players or and, and just I, the Braves players? I guess I feel like I've come to the you know the I, I feel like I've come to the answer that it's basically that they just hate Astros and that they just do not want to see an Astro in it, or at least for someone from that team. Carlos Correa and Altuve, of course, have the, kind of the biggest. Uh, targets on their backs for what they said with their comments but like I said again we got to get over that it's it's a new year it's it's time to just move on but um I think the next one Alex might be the one of the most controversial ones and this is the third base spot um and me and you of course uh both ended our 2021 all MLB teams back in or back in September we both had number one we had Jose Ramirez from what he was able to do with his glove with his bat and also with the stolen bases the vote ended up going to Austin Riley for first team third base and Rafael Devers for second team third base. Um, I'll get something out quickly before I go to you. I thought Devers, of course, was a top two third baseman. I thought he deserved to be probably on the second team. But first team, I'm very, very surprised and I'm a little confused. And again, it goes back to this is voted after the postseason. Jose Ramirez was not in the postseason. Um it's just a little unfair to go about go that route when you know certain players aren't in the postseason when certain players are and they get you know an extra benefit but your thoughts on third base i know you probably have some stats you want to bring up with that yeah i'm essentially in complete agreement that uh, jose ramirez was completely robbed i really don't understand how this man continually he continuously gets not enough credit i feel like jose ramirez he's just so consistently very good um he led Austin Riley in OPS plus by a good amount. I believe it's like 141 to 132 in favor of Ramirez. The war, baseball reference war, also favors Ramirez. I think Ramirez, the OPS plus will tell you he had a better bat. Of course, a switch hitter. Um, the defense is probably somewhat similar, but then the base running is just, uh, you know, a complete it's landslide. A, it's a lot better, yeah. A, yeah. a complete landslide in flavor in favor of Jose Ramirez. Um Riley is probably like safely the third pick, I would say, behind Devers and Ramirez being the, obviously the, the best, um, which is what we both concluded yep. after the regular season. 
And Travis, the crazy thing to me too is that Riley did not have a crazy postseason either. It really just kind of comes down to the fact that they won, right? And, and I, I, feel and like I the think voters gave clutch extra base hits that people always that that really caught everyone's eye. Yeah, sure, but yeah, you, I mean, you look at the th- the NL, the NLDS, the NLCS, and the World Series. His OPS in those series was nine oh eight, and then it was six fifty nine, and then it was seven sixty. Like he was like a you know a whatever kind of batter. He made a couple clutch clutch grabs at third base in the hot corner. Had a couple very clutch RBIs. But the only way you could say he's better than Ramirez is if you just kind of say, okay, well, you're sorry you're on the Indians or, or now the Guardians. Like, you, you know, your team didn't make the postseason and you weren't in those big moments. But Jose Ramirez, you know, he probably shows up in a pretty big way if he does make the postseason. But, um, yeah, it just really it just really kind of lame in my mind. And, Travis, uh, I predicted this coming. I just <laughs> – yeah, during yeah. the postseason, I was like, they're going to give Riley so much props um, because of – he had all this momentum late too. Tons of Braves fan Travis very vocal on Twitter saying like, "How come Riley's not in the MVP conversations?" And I just don't understand that at all, really, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, six point one WAR is very good, and I think the main reason why they like him a lot is because he had a nice three oh three average, one hundred seven RBIs and thirty three homers. Like, there's a lot to like about his season, but looking at his race, his rate based stats, like one hundred thirty two OPS plus, it's like an all star, but it's not an MVP. Um, at all in my mind so yeah overall rally a great year but to me does not deserve the first spot probably not the second spot as well i think ramirez endeavors is how yeah. i would have how i would have voted for that yeah ramirez endeavors in my mind were definitely neck and neck i just felt like the with the, with the way kind of the season ended and the way the players were trending i think ramirez definitely edged out devers slightly ahead um, so I had those two, of course, and then Riley was just m- not really a thought in my head at all. I mean, I was maybe, no. maybe even thinking, you know, Chris Bryant or someone, someone else. But I mean, it was kind of funny that, you know, from this, the voters, you know, they look at the postseason, which again, uh, I don't think should be at all counted when it comes to this vote. But yeah, Austin Riley sneaks away with the first team all MLB. So um, that's, of course, I think one of our first I know later on down the line, we'll have another complaint that we talked about earlier in the week when this came yep. out. But let's move to the outfield. Uh, so first team outfield, Alex, we had Juan Soto of the Nationals, Bryce Harper of the Phillies, Aaron Judge of the Yankees. I really can't complain with that. Those three players had outstanding years. Yeah, I think that's who I voted for when I did my voting for mm-hmm. this. They were mm-hmm. my, my you know, LMOB outfielders. I completely agree, I think. I think when we did our talk about this on the pod earlier, I think I had Mullins over Judge. But honestly, looking at their numbers, Judge was the better hitter. Um, the defense is probably very comparable. I know Mullins had a great defensive year, but Judge also does the same thing yep. all the time. Um, only argument really is center field versus right field. But at the end of the day, I think Judge's bat makes up for the difference. Yeah, and Mullins was on my, I think, final first team just for having the defense. And I think also just the the 30-30 season to his name, I yeah. think, is also a very good stat to have for a leadoff guy with that speed. Um, and defense. I, I thought it was very impressive. But going to the second team, um, all outfield, we had Nicholas Castellanos from the Reds, Kyle Tucker from the Astros, and Teoscar Hernandez from the Blue Jays. A very strong list, very good guys. Um, I guess my big thing is, of course, I don't see Mullins on that list. I thought Mullins would have definitely had been a top six finalist for the outfield for the all you know first or second team so i guess his name is one guy that i uh wish to have seen on this list but i really can't complain kyle tucker had a complete great breakout year castellanos is kind of just he, he's really under the radar playing in cincinnati he's kind of like what you said earlier about matt olson uh 
really doesn't get that much attention, but he is a stud. He has a great bat. So good for Castellanos. And then Teoscar Hernandez, again, kind of that, I think he plays left field for the for the Blue Jays, but yeah. um, great power, a great compliment to Semyon and also Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So a good bat to have in that lineup. So again, three fearful outfielders i just wish of course mullins would have got a little more recognition i really thought he had a great breakout special year but can't complain from this outfield list can't complain from the first team list so at least they got all those pretty on spot and all all correct so thoughts on outfield yeah um you said can't complain i'm not complaining a little bit if you don't mind um essentially i completely agree with you that mullins was snubbed um if not the first team, at least he must have been on the second team, in my mind at least. Teoscar Hernandez, a great season for him. He sits right in the middle of that stacked Blue Jays lineup, so he has a lot more runs and yep. RBIs than a guy like Mullins hits, you know, probably second or leadoff sometimes for the Baltimore Orioles, who a low offensive team, an overall just a really losing team this year. Um, and that shouldn't impact at all the voting. The voting should not factor in the fact that Mullins is on this bad team that you know he can only help himself so much when you look at his overall batting uh Mullins has a higher OPS plus than Teoscar Hernandez mm -hmm. and that's what Teoscar brings to the table is his bat but the bat was actually better this season for Mullins and combined with the speed we talked about the 30-30 season he had combined with the defense playing center field more premier position I think the move was definitely to put in Mullins Mullins had a 5.7 uh B war whereas Teoscar was down at 3.9, so a pretty big gap there. So mm -hmm. I am pretty surprised that Teoscar made the second team. I think he had a great season for his own right, but I think the Blue Jays sort of uh, gave him a bit of a boost, whereas, uh, you know, Mullins being on the Orioles, no one really wanted to vote for an Oriole, I guess. So 55-win um, team, you know. <laughs> exactly, and I think I think it's because of that um, that, you know, Mullins gets snubbed off this list, which is it, it's unfortunate because uh, – I don't know how, you know, he had pretty much a career year for his own yeah, standards, yeah. and that's just going to get unrecognized completely, which, you know, he'll get some MVP votes. He did, but, I mean, I think a second team all MLB was certainly, you know, at least worth uh, worth that at, at the bare minimum. And so. Especially when they're just doing outfield. They're not doing left, center, right, so you have to play with your position. Yeah. They're doing outfield, so it's almost like, can you crack the top six pretty much? I, I think there's also a case for Mullins over Castellanos, too. I think Tucker deserves his spot kind yeah, of, but— yeah. I think Mullins being below both Castellanos and below um, below Tasker Hernandez to me just kind of says that no one people knew about Mullins' season. I think they just they just decided you know Orioles yeah not a lot of RBIs. I think he had like fifty something RBIs. It's like well, what do you expect? He hits like he hits leadoff for a sorry yeah sorry ass lineup. It's, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> and you just look at the other numbers and the WAR and everything and the defense the the stealing. So I think we both understand that Mullins you know was was left off this list uh, unfairly, but you know. That's what's going to happen when you have fans voting and, yep. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and especially you got that whole uh, Blue Jays market, you know, pretty much the whole entire, you know, country of Canada is, is behind them. So sure. that's why they probably get a lot of votes there. But um, good talks on the outfield. Um, yeah, Cedric Mullins, if you're listening, um, you know, we back you up. So. Yeah, we, we, we'll, 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 we'll for your second team. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, moving on to the DH, Alex. Um, again, I, I can't really complain here too much. Shohei Otani, the first team DH, absolutely 150%. He is the first team DH. Uh, second team DH, Jordan Alvarez. He again is the um, you know second team DH. I I can't complain with that one either. No complaints um, for yeah, me either. Nothing else. But you know I will say going back a little bit to the outfield, it's kind of funny because if we did the preseason all first team MLB, Alex, it's funny that me and you would both probably be saying you know Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, 
Cody Bellinger. These guys' names aren't even on this list. It's kind of crazy. That's right. When I mean, you know, with injuries happening to some of these guys, and then of course Betts just having a meh, you know, no, an okay year, but kind of a down year on his standards, and then Bellinger having a crazy decline year. Yeah. Even Yelich, even Yelich too. The list can kind of go on. Yeah. Th- there's a bunch of names that hopefully can get back on track and you know get get the respect back to their names. But um, I just wanted to point that up with the outfielders. It's kind of crazy that these names are not on it this year. But right, yeah. Um, so we got the DHs down. Now let's go to the starting pitching, and I guess we'll kind of go through the top five for the first team and then the top five for the second team. So first team, Alex, we had Max Scherzer of the Dodgers. We had Corbin Burns of the Brewers. Walker Bueller of the Dodgers, Robbie Ray of the Blue Jays, and then Garrett Cole of the Yankees. Um, I guess we stop right here and talk about that or go to the second team and kind of let's go second second team team. and so we can see the top 10 that people voted on and then we can yeah perfect okay so then second team we had Shohei Otani of the Angels we had Julio Urias of the Dodgers Kevin Gosman of the Giants Max Freed of the Braves and Zach Wheeler of the Phillies Alex let's start with the most obvious one what the hell is Zach Wheeler doing on the second team 100% makes no sense at all um second place in the nl cy young yeah which i've told everyone and told you that probably wins first place in the, in the al absolutely mac yeah without without question zach wheeler's performance if he had the same exact numbers on an american league team he is the lock for cy young in my mind at least you know no disrespect to ray or cole but the volume that you know wheeler did combine with his era was just really good um there's just no way in my mind you could justify for him not being on the first team he literally outplaced scherzer and bueller in the cy young voting which was on the same criteria right who had the best season yeah and yet those two dodgers are higher than him on this and the only reason i can think is well part one part of it is dodgers made the postseason and they um, those two pitchers, at least, you know, they showed up. They didn't, you know, they didn't dominate in some crazy way, but they showed up in the postseason. They did well in their starts. Um, and the other factor is, Travis, of course, when there's fan voting involved, Dodger Nation is very strong and very influential, <laughs> both online and just in general. So um, with that being said, of course, Scherzer and Bueller get the votes to be be in that top tier, that first Amabi team and then Urias also sneaks on the second team which you know he might deserve that you know I'm not gonna say he doesn't um I'd have to look at the numbers to be you know be to be 100% but to see Wheeler not in the company of you know Scherzer and and Burns in that top tier it just makes no sense it's a complete you know it's just a complete injustice just I guess what's your take on the whole Wheeler yeah thing? I, I mean I would have even argued that I honestly I would have been fine if they went five NL pitchers in the first team I, I felt I felt like the AL pitching this year was good but it wasn't as dominant as the NL we saw all year the NL was the pitching league of the entire season I mean the Brewers had three amazing guys um so Robbie Ray, okay, I'm fine with him being on there. Even Garrett Cole, it's fine whichever whichever way you want to go. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that not having uh, Zach Wheeler on the first team was definitely a lot of disrespect uh, with that. And then you know, I'll move down to the second team. Alex, Max Fried had a great year, had a great, had a, an amazing postseason. Shohei Otani had a very good pitching season. I just don't know why we don't see a guy like Brandon Woodruff on this list for second team at least. He was much better than Otani, 
Urias, you could possibly say. I would say. And also Max Freed. Definitely. He was Freed. definitely better than all those. Even Kevin Gosman, I would even say as well. Brandon Woodruff was a complete you know, he he was so good that, you know, he didn't even get a lot of recognition on Cy Young, but in any other year, he probably would have been a top three easily in Cy Young. His his teammate Corbin Burns, of course, edged him out. But yeah, I mean, starting pitching, it just it, it kind of disappointed me this year with all the votes. I know Shohei Otani was a great pitcher, but he was a good pitcher. But I, I think that we all kind of fell in love with the story of Shohei. Um, he was not, in my mind, a top 10 in the MLB starting pitcher, but he was a great pitcher. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of names I think that we that really left off. I know one name that you definitely want to talk about is probably Carlos Rodon. He was left off the list, had a great season. Lance Lynn finished third in the AL Cy Young voting. How come he wasn't put on this list? You know, there's just so many names that we can go off of that weren't included. And it just kind of it's kind of crazy when you look at this and the fan vote really kind of, you know, it kind of stood out more as to what maybe the analytics and all the analysts are saying, maybe the professionals, I would say, would put Um, it kind of gets a little ridiculous when you get these lists put together. And it's a lot. I'm trying to think how much the percentage of fan vote is made up for these lists. But um, yeah, I mean, some of these names, I'm just kind of like, you know. It's just it's just because he plays for that team in that market or he had a great postseason. I mean, there are really guys that are a lot more deserving on this list or that should be on this list. Yeah, you highlighting Woodruff um, completely echoes, you know, what I my thoughts. My immediate reaction was was Wheeler, second team makes no sense, and Woodruff not being a top ten pitcher this season is just absolutely criminal. He had a two point five six ERA, Travis, and a one hundred seventy nine one innings pitch that's a lot he yeah. was a workhorse yeah. combined with very efficient at preventing runs he only threw six less innings than um than julio urias with a much better era, ERA. Yep. and then he had a better era and more innings pitched than both freed and otani so the only adv- the only argument you could possibly say for shohei is this guy deserves credit because he bats as well but don't bring and, that in <laughs> and in my mind Charles, i think in both of our mind we love shohei so much but when we're talking about all MLB starting pitching, we want it to be just about the pitching. Exactly. The context is important for like maybe if your team like makes a lot of errors and stuff. But in terms of like the fact that you're batting, that's context that shouldn't really matter for this award. It matters for MVP, stuff like that, but not for all MLB starting pitcher. Also for all MLB starting pitcher, uh, Max Freed, the postseason definitely helped him out. He won the deciding game of the World Series, which yep. of course is a factor Another factor I'm sure that mattered to some fans, Travis, for some reason, I don't know how this possibly happened, but Brandon Woodruff had a 9-10 and 10 record, yep. win-loss record. I don't know how you could have a 2.56 ERA and be on a division-winning team, 95-win team, very good team, yeah. have a losing win-loss record. But all I can say, folks, is that has nothing to do with Brandon Woodruff. That has everything to do with bad luck and I guess the bats not showing up. Yep. Not a great offense. Um, for the Brewers, you know, all season, not a great, um, you know, across the board, not very good. Yeah, not historically good. <laughs> uh, and so I guess just somehow when Woodruff was on the mound, they did not show up and he somehow got more losses than wins. But that should not affect the voting at all because uh, I think Urias was was one of the wins leaders of the season. And that he probably, was, that yeah. helped his case. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Freed, you know, being on the Braves, um, a lot more wins than, uh, than Woodruff as well. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, Woodruff being off this list is just completely criminal. You also, you also you also mentioned Rodon. I would have had Rodon on here. Rodon was very similar in innings pitched to Otani. Yep. But a much much lower ERA didn't qualify for the ERA title, 
But if he did throw a few more innings, he would have been the ERA leader for the American League. Um, and possibly even MLB, I think, too. Right. Yeah, I, and, yeah. and the thing for me with Rodon is if you want to leave him off because of innings pitched, that's your opinion and that's fine. But Shoei had a very slimmer amount of innings pitched. And I think Freed only about 30 more innings pitched. And the ERA gap is huge. And anyways, long story short, I would have had Rodon in top 10. He might, have, he might have been in my top five, but that's just me. Kind of, I, just, I think I like a lot of his numbers. But yeah, um, yeah at the end of the day, Woodruff, I think, is the real crime for a guy who did not yeah. make any of the top 10. Uh, yeah, I think that pretty much sums up you know, my whole rant about it. But it, just seeing when this list just dropped, Travis, it just felt like a lot of guys were just a disservice. And if... If Woodruff is going to leave this season, Travis, with not even a all-movie second-team starting pitcher, why we have the award? Because that's exactly. a season that deserves recognition. Exactly, and you're so right. And even with with Zach Wheeler, I mean, making the all MLB but second team, and it's kind of like yeah, no. When I when I, yeah, if you could pull up Baseball Reference and it had like oh 2021 all MLB second team for wheeler you'd be like oh so he was okay no he almost won the whole award yeah. he tied corbin burns for first place votes what if he won that award travis and then still got second team exactly I feel like that's like almost what happened it, you know you're so right and i think we are all looking at the voting and i think everyone was thinking okay zach wheeler is probably going to get third without a doubt still a very good season still honestly would probably win first in al like i said the the top three maybe even the top four in the nl will probably would win first place in the al just because of how dominant it was in the nl but I mean, leading all pitchers in war, 7.7. Then, of course, the ERA, 2.78. Uh, and then innings pitch. I mean, you you want workhorses. You got your workhorse right here with, you know, 247 strikeouts, 213 innings pitched. Yeah, that was also criminal in my thought, too. I, I thought Zach Wheeler um, should have and definitely proved to everybody that, you know, he was a top five starting pitcher in the MLB. So, you know, I mean, you can only just kind of be disappointed in this. I mean, hope it, it, you wish, like he said, it, it would this would be taken more seriously, and maybe fan vote would be out of there, and it'd just be strictly, you know, like you like you do. Even with some of the voters, they get kind of crazy, and they're they. I feel like they look at unimportant things, but yeah, it's. I, I think with with this, it gets a little bit. Um, it just it just gets a little, you know, unprofessional, un, unorganized. I would say for for the entire you know leaderboard, but. Uh, Anything else on starting pitching? Uh, no, we could go to relievers. Okay, now, yeah. so relievers, uh, you know, they had two relievers they picked for the all first team and all second team. So all first team, Josh Hader for the Brewers and Liam Hendricks for the White Sox. Um, these are two guys, of course, that are, you know, huge names, you know, before 2021. Um, I think me and you, Alex, both had Josh Hader as pretty much our closer of the year. So still really happy with that. Liam Hendricks, also another big name, having a good year for the White Sox. Him and Kimbrough, I think, kind of split time with the closer role. But I think it ultimately went to Liam Hendricks in the end. And he was their guy because they're paying big money for him. So Liam Hendricks was the all first team. And then all second team, Alex, our guy, uh, Rysel Iglesias, gets the all second team. So good to have his recognition. And then also Kenley Jansen for the Dodgers. Um, your thoughts on, on, uh, on, I guess the relief pitching for the all first and second team. Yeah. So first team, I completely agree. If you made me say who's the, you know, best AL and NL guys, you know, I would have gone hater and I would have gone Hendricks. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, hater was just the dominant guy this year and Hendricks had the, he had a crazy workload, um, innings pitched wise and still had that nice ERA. So, um, I agree with that completely. Um, Iglesias Travis I completely agree with we saw him firsthand all season to have he was in the tops of the saves leaderboard like top three top four down towards the end of the season 
and he was on a team with a losing record. So to be that dominant with saves on a yeah. losing team, it just kind of shows every single time we called on him when we did need him, he answered. Exactly. Um, I think the Angels, Travis, were the only team. Uh, it seems like a, almost like a crazy milestone. I think they were the only team in baseball. Every single time they entered the ninth inning while winning, they won the game. They did not lose one game all season where they were leading in the ninth. So that alone tells you that Rizal Iglesias as the closer, there was no time ever, Travis, where it was a safe situation. We did not put him in. He was always the go-to guy, consistently delivered, um, never blew a big game that you know we couldn't win in extras kind of thing. So I totally love the Iglesias pick. The Jansen pick, Travis, in theory, I have no problem with it because he did have a great year. I love the year Jansen had. He made a lot of tweaks to, I guess, you know, his repertoire and his approach, and it helped. His numbers were overall very good, really good. 2.22 ERA on 69 innings pitched is mm-hmm. overall a great relief season. But, Travis, I think Emmanuel Class A, a little bit snubbed. 1.29 ERA for Class A on 69 innings pitched as well. So similar innings pitched very true. to Jansen, a much lower ERA. Class A... Um, was obviously not on the the big baller team he plays for Cleveland, yep. whereas Jansen plays for LA Dodgers. So the market the, the the market almost can dictate, and you can most predict Jansen will get more credit in terms of the fan vote of this award. But at the end of the day, I think Class A did have a better season than Jansen did. Um, don't know what that means for going forward, but at the end of the day, Class A in my mind probably deserves to be on this list somehow. So my 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 second team might have been Rizal Iglesias, Emmanuel Class A. But Jansen had had a really good year in his own right, so not super upset about it. Just think that you know, we kind of saw it again, Travis, where the markets and the postseason presence kind of affected this vote as well. Yeah, two good points you brought up with again the you know where the, the location where you play, and then of course your postseason success. It's definitely you know playing into effect when it comes to this list, which is not a good way to look at you know these lists if you want to talk about you know that, that's why i actually thought that the scion winner could possibly be max scherzer just because he played in la and i thought yeah. he was going to get a lot of the big market votes while corbin burns was going to get you know a close second place but i'm glad that you know corbin finished out on top because his numbers were spectacular this year so um i guess that kind of sums up our little rant about all mlb um i mean I, I don't really know if there's really a fix i mean the only fix of course is getting these fans out of the votes because yeah you know it's fun to have a, maybe maybe it's fun to have fans for the all-star votes fine okay that that, that yeah that, that's a little okay i know we had our our rants back in the you know when, when they brought out the top three nominees and we didn't even see olsen or walsh on the first base uh al uh right. nominees and that was just kind of like Okay, they had Jose Abreu, which, yeah. who's had a uh, he's an average player this year. <laughs> exactly. So they, they definitely have a lot of people that I've, I've, we both agree don't know much about the game, and they just look at you know where they play, the big names, and all that stuff, or even past performances. So uh, hopefully, you know, we can clean that up. But you know, until then, you know, we have our picks, and we I think we were very strongly, you know, with our picks, and I think you know, I think we're I, I know we're both right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I think I think they should, they should, Charis, they should just. Send us an email. Exactly. We'll fill out the all will be for second team. We'll let you guys know who it should be. Exactly. Exactly. So that kind of continues everything with all MLB. I'm glad we got to put that to bed. And uh, that pretty much sums up, I guess, the 2021 season right then and there. But Alex, let's move on to kind of what we, you know, what we do nowadays is go over off season, you know, trades, acquisitions and news and updates. Um, this, you know, last week was a very big week. This week was a, was a huge week. I think when getting a lot of the positional players active in the market and finding new homes for them, um, I guess we'll start with the big kind of, I wouldn't say acquisition. It was the extension, the big extension of the phenom 
young, bright shortstop Wander Franco, Alex. He, this Tuesday, this past Tuesday before Thanksgiving, signed an extension with the Rays. You know, I read it was 11 years and also 12. I think the 12th year is an option. Yeah, I'm not sure what the terms 100%. But basically what I was seeing a lot in on, you know, on the TV and on Twitter was that, you know, it's a 12-year extension, $223 million. So it's about 18.6 AAV for 12 years for this young shortstop right now who actually he'll be turning uh, 21 on March 1st. So not even 21, and he's got himself already $200 million in his, you know, in his future right now. So right. Uh, thoughts on it, Alex, uh, with Wander Franco and this extension for the Rays. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, it's another example of what feels like a sort of a steal for the organization. Um, very similar to like the Acuna type deal, Travis, where the Braves pretty much locked him down for like a decade at an, at an annual, you know, valuation that's not that high. But when it comes down to it, Travis, Wander Franco, twenty million a year, in like five to ten years from now, will probably end up looking like a really good deal for the team. But at the end of the day, as well, Travis, I will also say that it is amount of guaranteed money that you know, God forbid, any sort of injury, he now has money for his family that he can send back home, and it's almost like a lock. So I think when you're in his situation, you take that for sure money, and um. It's just not worth the risk, obviously, of if something bad were to happen, and now all of a sudden, you know, you kind of squandered your your talent and all that prestige you had in the minors. So, um, I cannot knock him at all for taking the money. Um, it feels like if he waited a couple years, he could have gotten more. Is all I'm trying to say, definitely, I guess. Definitely, definitely. More like a Tatis type deal. If and he wait, if he waited like two years, got like top three in MVP voting next year, probably could have got, you know, up thirty five. Uh, I, yeah, I, yeah, I would think like a total guaranteed money of upwards like 400 mil, like yeah. if, if he proved yeah. the hype was real, which I think he probably will do. But um, at the end of the day, Travis, like I keep saying, guaranteed money, especially coming as an international player, you know, sending that money home, I'm sure it is, you know, you know, take the money and, you know, you've, you've, you're making that much money pretty much on how good you were in the minors as well as 60 games in like the big league level. So, you know, when the team believes in you that much, you know, I'm okay with you taking the money. The Rays definitely locked up a shortstop for, you know, the next decade. And it just seems like another money smart move they keep making. Um, that's been the name of the game for the Rays this this last decade or so. Yeah. And, and you know, I think it's it's good for Wander because I know he's from Dominican Republic and, you know, Tampa Bay is, you know, not too far away. I mean, really, I mean, I think it's maybe maybe an hour to two hour, you know plane ride all the way sure. to, to the Dominican Republic. So at least he's somewhat close to home. He wants to stay close. He's got the money now over $200 million. You know, you're right with the whole, you know, he could have bet on himself and said, you know, actually, I'm going to I'm going to grind till I'm 24, 25. And then I'm going to go and probably move to a new team, a new area, because I know the Rays ain't going to give me $400 million. And then he could get that kind of that trout or that Harper. Kind exactly. Of contract. Exactly. But, I, you know, I know a lot of people, um, it, it seems like almost it's almost like a criminal deal. I know we look at like the Acuna deal. I think Acuna got eight, eight years, $100 million. And it's kind of like. This guy could should be making thirty five million dollars right now a year, yeah. which would be probably you know north of three hundred million dollars um, when we look at these Tatis, Lindor, Trout, Betts deals. But you know, good for Wander. You know, 
at least now he can kind of settle down and say, hey, I'm covered till my 30s. You know, I have tons of money rolling in. I know I saw a video of him rolling up to the uh, Tampa Bay parking lot in a, you know, a brand new SUV Rolls Royce. So I was like, man, that, that's good for him. Yeah. Good for him. You know, grinding already at, at age 20. Uh, so, you know, take the money now and, you know, be kind of conservative with it and just say, hey, you know, I'll be a free agent at my age, I think 32 season or something like that. And, you know, maybe then I'll be able to sign maybe a five year deal worth maybe close to the same amount of money. We'll see how in a decade how contracts are, are done differently. I mean, I remember 10 years ago, our pool signed a 10 year 240 and we were just like, oh, my goodness. And now it just seems like people are getting six years and 240 million. And it's yeah. kind of just like. Holy crap, you know, the, the, yeah. the market Th is things, definitely things changed. Things will shift in the next 10 years without a doubt. So definitely, he could probably get a $250 million deal for six years and, you know, 2030, and, and it really won't mean anything of it. So he'll be able to, of course, secure that money, you know, when he gets older. But I kind of want to start with that because that was a really cool extension. Alex, I mean, this guy had, you know, about three months of baseball this season, only played 70 games. And I think the biggest stat that was just so eye-opening to me was a 3.5 war in 70 games. Oh, yeah. And we multiplied that by two. That's 140 games if you would have played almost a full season. You'd have yourself a seven war. Yeah, MVP, MVP caliber war. And so just a really insane outbreak from Wander Franco um, and good for him for getting that extension. But, Alex, let's kind of move on to um, kind of some low-level pitching but some good moves. These happened um, Wednesday and Friday. Uh, Steven Matz to the St. Louis Cardinals on a four-year, $44 million deal, and then Michael Waka to the Boston Red Sox on a one-year deal for about $7 million. Uh, give me kind of your thoughts and rundown on those. Sure. So, yeah, Matt's is someone, Travis, who I was uh, hoping the Angels would be in on. Um, 11 mil AAV for four years. Um, definitely feels like he kind of got paid. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, it's an overpay, but it just feels like, you know, he definitely probably cared about the money as part of the aspects. Um, also, Travis, uh, he is someone who is kind of a ground ball pitcher. And and they have a lot of good defense. So Exactly right. The, the infield D of St. Louis is pretty much top of the league without question, I would say. Um, so kind of factoring that in, I think it's a good fit also baseball-wise. Um, and Travis, I think one of their weaknesses was pitching. I think one of the things that might have prevented the Cardinals from going on a crazy postseason run, obviously lost a wild card game, but if they were to win that, um, the depth of their starting pitching felt kind of low. Obviously, Wainwright had a really great year, almost like a career year, but you know, past him, Flaherty missed some time in the regular season, and all their other pitchers were kind of not spectacular. So they're getting mats. I know they're also trying to get guys like Stroman, but they're pursuing these kind of weak contact pitchers, and they're going to try to, you know, make that defense uh, essentially, you know, uh, I guess, you know, why why have a elite defense if you're not going to have these kind of good contact pitchers? So, um, yeah, I think Mats makes a lot of sense in terms of baseball fit. The, the, the deal makes sense as well. Um, I think the Cardinals know that, you know, a couple good pitchers away and they are a better team than the Brewers. Yep. So the division is um, a bit up for grabs, especially if the Brewers don't add the bass they need to add. So um, I'm excited to see how that kind of race shapes up as Brewers and Cardinals try to kind of, you know, get competitive with each other. No, yeah, and it, was, it was good to see Matt's 
change kind of his, you know, a change of scenery was really good with, cause the way he ended in New York, it wasn't, I think 2020, he had an ERA above nine, you yeah. know, of course a shortened season, but in 2021 really figured out, I think he had an ERA around three, eight, if I'm not mistaken, it was, you know, a high three, but still a very good a big, guy, big step in the right direction, a very, sure. a very good guy to have as the number four or five star in your rotation and a lefty that gets a lot of ground balls. You kind of want to use that to your advantage and say, okay, we have a good infield defense let's get a guy like this and he can really you know be successful and our team can be very successful with that so good move with that waka i mean just a good kind of another deal for the red sox to get a guy um not nothing really kind of you know wow for michael waka but still just a guy that's gonna kind of get you through the season um yeah the, what i'll say about waka is the innings pitched is something to say right yeah, like yeah. if you're an average pitcher era wise but you can go 170 innings there's a lot of value in that but in terms of the efficiency and the era kind of side of things the run prevention um last year he was on the Rays, travis and the Rays couldn't really get him to be like an above average mm -hmm. era kind of pitcher mm -hmm. so in my mind personally if the Rays can't fix you up kind of kind of thing <laughs> yeah then i don't know who can i guess that's kind of the way i'm thinking about this um so i don't you know the red sox i think they might be pursuing him for innings yeah. um mm -hmm. he could even be a guy who kind of splits time between like uh long relief in the bullpen or like a five starter in the rotation i just don't think that he um maybe the red sox maybe the red sox do see something that they like about him but personally i just i guess i feel like um if the rays couldn't get you to be an above average pitcher in terms of your era then i don't know who can red sox are going to try um I'm interested to see how it works, but I'm just not super hot on Waka, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's, it's, I think it's just kind of a guy who will be, you know, back end of the rotation competing for a spot um, in spring training, see what he can do to kind of, you know, um, make that rotation more complete but yeah no it's not really kind of a big attractive signing for the red sox they probably have other names out there as well to go after and get so uh those are two names of course that were um on the market you know before and a little bit after thanksgiving but alex the big team that had a huge black friday sale or a huge black friday um acquisitions was the new york mets they went out on friday all in one day acquired Eduardo Escobar, who played for the Brewers and the Diamondbacks last year and was an all-star, uh, acquired Mark Canna, who was an Oakland A, angel killer, uh, always seems to do damage to the Angels, and then, of course, Starling Marte, who put together a very nice season last year for both the Marlins and the Oakland A's. Uh, one thing I look about these three guys, Alex, is Eduardo Escobar and Mark Canna both had about a 2.5 war, and then Starling Marte had about a 5 war. So you combine that, you get 10 wins right there from these players. Yeah. So compare that with kind of the players that did not have a good year for the Mets, which there was a lot of them that had kind of a down year. Um, you kind of have some pieces now that you can really move around and build off of. What's really nice about Eduardo Escobar and Canna is they have a lot of versatility. They can play a lot of different positions um, and use them at a lot of different spots. So it'll be interesting to see how the Mets kind of utilize all those guys into their roles. I know Starling Marte, um, he's kind of like the Springer that the Mets missed out on last year. I know Springer was very highly talked about for the Mets to sign with them. They missed out. The Blue Jays got him. And then now Stoney Marte, I think, is their next option. So a good signing there. A guy that has, you know, 47 stolen bases last year and a 310 batting average. So a guy that's going to have a lot of contact and, and steal a lot of bases for you. So really nice signing there. And then, of course, Eduardo Escobar and Canna. Just really nice, I think, utility guys that you can use at a lot of different spots. So thoughts on the Mets big day on Friday? 
Yeah, um, three players who all, um, I think, have their own role on a good playoff team, like the Mets is what they're trying to be. Um, I think it's interesting. I'm trying to think about these additions and what it means for how they're going to kind of approach the rest of free agency because everyone's been talking about, you know, Chris Bryant makes sense for the Mets. Javi Baez makes sense to keep him around for second base for the Mets. Don't know if they're going to pursue these guys anymore because if you think about it, um, also Conforto, a free agent, looks like they probably won't keep him because they just added two outfielders to their team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So kind of keeping all this in mind, um, you know, trying to figure out how do their current pieces fit into like a nine-man team. Um, assuming there's like a universal DH, um, are they going to look to trade a guy like Dom Smith? Uh, now that they added these outfielders, or are they going to move him to DH? Or you know, it's hard to say how it's going to fit together. Definitely. But what I will say, Travis, about the guys they added, a 132 OPS plus for Starling Marte. He had a 310 average and a 383 on base. With all those steals he's getting, getting on base that much is just. I think he went under the radar this season. Only played 120 games, and that's probably what kind of killed him from being like the all MLB type guy. But almost, Travis, I keep looking at his numbers. It's kind of almost Mullins-esque. The power is not the same, yeah. but the steals, the speed, playing center field, also combined with, you know, you're getting on base quite a bit. Um, and in my mind, Travis, if you can steal bases and you can walk, it just opens up the floodgates because that's what you want on the top of your order. If you can just walk... And then steal a base, you're pretty much getting a double for you know not even hitting the ball. So yep, exactly, um, I definitely think a very uh, underrated piece that they added is Marte. Of course, he got paid a good yep. amount, so good for him getting up there in age. So um, he get, he pretty much got you know his his uh, his contract year paid off for him. And then Escobar and uh, and Canna both have such positional ver- very like uh, versatility that I don't know what the exact plan is, but. Canna can play all three outfield spots, can play first base as well, and then Escobar can pretty much play all infield spots as well. So um, they're going to have some options for sure. Lindor is kind of the sure thing, as well as Alonso is pretty much a sure thing. Yep. But Alonso <laughs> essentially could be moved to DH as well if that gets adopted by the National League. Very so true, yeah. Lots of options here for the Mets in the infield, and I'm not 100% sure of the way they plan to go about it. But Travis, I think if you look at their one through eight right now, if there is a DH adopted, you're talking about, you know, Marte, Canna towards the top somewhere, probably Nimmo towards the top for his good on base. Mm-hmm. In the middle, Alonzo, Lindor is going to be in there. Dom Smith's going to be in there if they keep him. Um, and then even towards the bottom, you still have McNeil somewhere. McNeil could be playing outfield or second base or third base. Who was a hits um, machine a couple years ago. Right. And then, uh, yeah, Lindor, like I said, is going to be in that mix. Um, Escobar will be in that middle somewhere. It's a very good, like, one through eight. And then you got a guy like, you know, you paid McCann a bunch of money last offseason. Didn't have a great year, but he'll probably be hitting ninth or something like that. Yeah. And um, let's see if the DH is involved, too. It might be, you know, DeGrom hitting ninth, too. It's a great pitcher who hits. Yeah, th- yeah, maybe he's better than any DH they have. But uh, essentially, Travis, my take is that they're doing a good job so far of rounding out the order. Still more moves to come in terms of their pitching, I'm sure. They're in on lots of different guys. We'll talk about that a bit later. But um, yeah, essentially, I'm curious to see, like like I said, if Bryant, Baez are still even on the table for them. Yeah. If so, they're going to have a good bench because they're almost they're almost maxing out here. So yeah. I'm interested to see how they keep going. Yeah, and, and I'll ask you this too um, because I know that they have – there are a lot of reports saying that Baez is still not out as being a New York Met. He still can be a New York Met. Um, 
would you go into maybe the trade market if you were the Mets and you said, okay, we're going to have Baez. He'll be our second baseman. Cause I know they said Baez and Lindor loved playing with with one another. I think they're, they're both really good friends. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, a Baez second base Lindor shortstop, uh, would you be looking to maybe even trade a guy like Nimmo or McNeil to get, maybe you get some pitching back because right now Syndergaard and Stroman don't look like they're going to be coming back. I know Gosman's been reported and maybe get interest from the Mets, but they need pitching on their pitching rotation right now. So what, what would you do in, in that circumstance? Probably. Yeah, that, that you pretty much read my mind when you said, go get pitching with those players, because yeah, guy like Dom Smith, um, guy like Jeff McNeil, uh, Nimmo as well. These are all, you know, good players with upside that you could try to sell to an organization and say, you know, give us, you know, you know, your second best pitcher and we will give you these kind of depth pieces with the upside to kind of yeah. really fill out your team. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure who they would target. The guy who's in lots of trade talks at this very moment is Luis Castillo. Not sure if they're making a big push for him. Um, I feel like the Reds would be mostly looking for uh, these young pieces, not like a Nimmo. Prospects, or, or, yeah. Um, but yeah, essentially, I do completely agree that they could, I guess, have a lot of value in keeping a bias or getting a Bryant, trading away some of their current pieces. Just go for a new look, try to be a new team, and then use those pieces you're selling to get starting pitching, which is um, definitely a weakness because if they cannot keep Stroman, if they cannot, obviously, they already lost Syndergaard. Um Carrasco, not sure what he has in the tank going forward. Um, definitely makes it kind of curious uh, what their rotation will look like uh, once you know spring training starts. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, Mets, of course, I think they're not done. Um, of course, I think every year <laughs> the Mets are kind of like the Angels when it comes down to they have all these promises and all these names they're after, and then somehow they somewhat fumble on a lot of these names. But, hey, I think right now both teams, Angels and Mets, are – shooting that they need to be in on a lot of these players to be a successful and hopefully win their divisions but moving to uh another player an action infielder alex i kind of i guess i would say the big the first big trade of the offseason um and that is adam frazier adam frazier last year uh-huh. was a was actually the starting second baseman for the nl all-star team in colorado so had a really uh great first half got traded from the pirates to the padres last year and i think everyone was kind of thinking wow i mean the padres are really striking first on the on the trade market for the uh for the um, deadline so frazier goes to the padres does not really live up to what he did in the first half with as a pirate so it kind of was a down second half really of course was um I, i feel like with the whole padres team it was just a down second half for the whole entire organization so frazier now has been moved to the Seattle Mariners and in return Seattle gave up some pitchers and I think also one position player to the Padres to get some more you know younger players in their system but Frazier now is on the Mariners Alex your thoughts on that whole you know uh, trade Mariners what where, where exactly could they really use this guy yeah so I think it's sort of uh it's I'm, I'm not sure I'm not so super hot on Frazier is what I'll say it almost feels like he, kind he's of just a, a big contact guy. It, it almost feels like an L for both teams because <laughs> the Padres went and got him from the Pirates, and they really gave up more than they should have because not only did he not have an impact. Of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe he could have, if he would have gone crazy in the, in the San Diego, we would have been talking about him differently. But overall, you know, doesn't hit the ball very hard, and you can kind of just tell that a lot of you know he was like a batting champ kind of leader early in the season and just tons of you know great contact numbers but as those started to kind of drop a bit um when he became a padre we all kind of realized okay um 
not sure what they really saw in Frazier as being an everyday starter for a team that already had a really stacked infield, the Padres did. So exactly. it almost seems like they're kind of holding their L in my mind and they're saying, we'll just trade him for more prospects. We're probably getting worse prospects in return than what we gave up, but let's just move on into this correct direction of we know Cronenworth is going to be an infielder for us. If we need a backup, we already have Haseon Kim. Don't really need Frazier. It's almost like uh, if Tatis is going to be in the infield, the infield should be locked almost. Definitely. Hosmer is a contract that will be hard to move. So he's your first baseman, most likely. Cronenworth or Haseon Kim is going to be middle infield with Tatis. And then, of course, Machado is your everyday third baseman. So moving from Frazier makes lots of sense. And then for the Mariners, Travis, him being your everyday second baseman, um, I just am not super hot on Frazier. I do think... uh, the Mariners are a team that they know what kind of holes they have to fill. And so they feel like they needed an everyday second baseman. So uh, makes sense in that regard. But at the same time, Travis, a lot of this, the, uh, the numbers on his kind of quality of contact, it's not very good. It's almost kind of like a David Fletcher kind of player, Travis. It's yeah. just a contact without much power, not much walking. Um, but the reason why I always will defend Fletcher, Travis, is at least he will always give you uh, gold glove defense, exactly. even though they're going to slum every time. Um, <laughs> Which Frazier obviously, you know, can have a good glove. But um, yeah, I just don't know uh, how much uh, hype I would give the trade. Also, there's one year left on his deal, Travis. So I'm kind of interested as what the Mariners' thoughts are here because um, obviously they want to win as soon as possible. But trading up some prospects for this second baseman for one year, really curious as to what they see in him. If they think they can extend him or if they want it to just be an expiring contract, not really sure. But, um, yeah, interested to see how it works out. I am not uh, super hot on Frazier, but um, the Mariners are a team I want to beat, Travis, so I'm okay with the deal. Yeah, it could be a big dub for the Angels because yeah. uh, maybe a team just kind of thought they got better, but really they're getting worse. But, yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. And, and, and the Padres, you know, to go along with Kim and also Cronenworth, they also have C.J. Abrams, who is one of their top – I think he actually is probably their top prospect right now who is a middle infielder. Right. Um, and yeah. so we'll see what happens with him there. I've always thought that he would be a huge name, that they would go out and get another acquisition. I thought that maybe that would be someone they would deal away for the Trey Turner and Scherzer sweepstakes that happened during the trade deadline, but they ended up keeping him. So we'll see, of course, how he plans on to – you know make his way up to the Padres system and see how kind of they, you know, how, how the, you know, Bob Melvin, Bob Melvin will have to find ways to uh, be creative with that, with all those players right there and see how they can be the most successful, um, you know, starting nine on the field. Maybe that means putting Hosmer on the bench and putting Cronworth at first base or something like that. So we'll have to see what happens, but um, yeah, kind of an interesting trade that happened, probably the biggest trade so far this off season, but uh, I guess moving to the last couple of uh, big free agent signings uh, this weekend, uh, Hector Nuris, uh, one of the relief pitchers. I think he was their closing pitcher for a little bit. I don't yeah. know if he was for a very long time, but he signed a two-year deal with the Houston Astros, two years, $17 million. So very kind of very similar to Aaron Loop that the Angels got. Um, of course, both pitchers are very different. One's a righty, one's a lefty. I think Nurris has some heat when it comes to um, his fastballs and, and his pitch repertoire. But Alex, thoughts on this signing for the Astros for getting Hector Nurris? Overall, I think the Astros are just trying to build up some bullpen depth. I think the pickup makes good sense. Um, definitely paying up a good amount of money for what I don't think is a particularly elite bullpen arm. But... Um, you know, I think the last couple seasons he's had um, some good things going for him. 
a 3.63 ERA this year. Back in 2019, was down at a 2.93 ERA. Um, some good, some pretty good FIP numbers in the last couple years, uh, last three or four seasons. So there's definitely stuff to like um, about him. And if the Astros think that they can, uh, you know, work on some stuff, then he could be a very, very good. A very, very, um, I would say it could be an elite setup man because I think Presley is going to be their guy for the Definitely. for the ninth. So, um, yeah, I think almost could end up replacing that kind of Graveman role they had uh, last year in the postseason because Graveman, of course, a free agent now, likely moving on to a different team. So, with all that in mind, um, overall, I think it's a smart pickup just because the Astros are they kind of understand the situation. They're just going to add a bunch of pitching depth, a lot of young pitching coming up for them. So. I'm um, just kind of stocking up the the pen with, you know, guys that they think have upside. So overall, there's definitely upside with Neris. Yeah, and I think, like you said, a good relief guy. I know they have uh, Stanek. They have a couple other guys. Uh, so, you know, just another guy to fill up that, uh, you know, relief role. And, you know, Astros offense is still going to be uh, – should be still elite and still, of course, have returning a lot of good starting pitchers with Verlander going back. And then McCullers should be healthy to start next season. So, you know, just getting another power arm for their uh, – bullpen but and let's kind of talk a little bit briefly kendall graven of course it's not reported officially yet but he it said that he was going to be going to the chicago white Sox. so yeah. probably again another fill-in for uh kimbrell leaving so it's pretty much kendall you're going to get a younger guy who of course has had i guess better upside last season uh kendall graven a good season last year going to the uh, Chicago White Sox. What I like about that is that I think that he knows his role. I know when he was with the Astros, I think they all knew that Presley was the closer and that Kendall Graveman was going to have to be the eighth or seventh inning guy. At least now going to the White Sox, he knows his role. Liam Hendricks is the ninth inning guy. Kendall Graveman could be and will be probably the eighth inning guy. And then seventh and sixth inning guys will be, you know, a bunch of different guys from the pen. So, um, don't really want to talk too much about that, but I just know that was reported. So yeah, it's interesting um, how you know they were linked and people were talking about that deal, but no deal was ever announced. So I wonder if they're just they're probably still um, debating on terms, is my guess, based on they want to see okay how much will uh, Kimbrel go sign for, how much will Iglesias sign for, and they can look at these kind of relief uh, contracts and say okay. Graveman, this is probably a fair number for you. So they probably want to see what the market looks like first. But yeah, would would be a big ad for the White Sox if they can uh, figure that money side of things out. Travis, one thing I learned this morning that I'm not sure if you were aware of, but of course, um, I saw a tweet uh, celebrating the anniversary of when Josh Donaldson was traded from the away from the Athletics. You know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Graveman was actually part of that deal coming back to the A's, which, I, which I never knew because. Um, back then, just a, a younger player, you know, yeah. but um, kind of funny that, you know, some of these guys have been, uh, you, you always kind of see these trade, uh, trade like throwback posts. And I'm exactly. like, oh, that guy was in that deal. I had no idea, but kind of funny. No, it's really funny that I, I can, I think I can recall Angels doing that to a lot of, you know, stud guys that had, you know, good careers or at least good primes. And, you, you know, you just throw them in a deal and then they become like, great somewhere else. You're some ninth round guy. Who are you? I don't care. And then it's just like, man, you know, four years later, you're this stud. So, uh, interesting that you brought that up, but uh, yeah, with Kendall Graveman, we don't really know yet. We'll see what happens. But uh, moving on to the last guy, Alex, that is, you know, he used to be probably one of the best starting pitchers in the game. Corey Kluber with the Indians back in the, you know, the mid 
2010s, he was a stud. I mean, won two Cy Youngs for them. Then, of course, kind of fell off, went to Texas, had one start, one inning pitch, got injured, was done for the whole 2020 season. We didn't really see him at all. Then he signed last year with the Yankees. I believe it was a one-year, $10 million deal. So kind of a very interesting deal. The Yankees were basically just saying, hey, we're going to give you $10 million. Hopefully, you can maybe return to somewhat of a Cy Young-like pitcher. We don't, of course, expect the you know 2.25 ERA, but maybe even a mid to low three ERA we can get you back to. Uh, last year, Alex, he had a 3.83 ERA. Not terrible for maybe a four or five fifth starter. Um, only 80 innings pitch, so he did go. He did have a lot of times on the IL. Had yep. a lot of injuries. Um, age is getting up there with him. So interesting enough that the Rays went ahead and gave him $8 million for one year. Again, just kind of seeing what they can get out of him. Could be kind of like that Michael Walker kind of guy. But thoughts on the Rays getting a guy like Kluber, it kind of gives you makes you makes you think a little bit suspiciously. What 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 have the Rays got cooking? Exactly my thoughts. Yeah. With the Rays, you can't count out their development. If they see something they can help fix uh with a player, they will sign him, they will tweak him up, and they'll make him as good as new, pretty much. Um also, Travis. Last year, um, Rich Hill, Rays picked him up, got to him to like a good ERA in the first half, traded him for, I think, for cash and maybe one player or something like that. But Rays also have the ability to kind of flip guys if they see, okay, we can fix this guy in this kind of way, flip him or something else. Not sure what their long-term plan is for Kluber. I'm sure in the ideal world, they try to get him to be like a three or four starter for their team going into the playoffs is what their goal is going to be. But um, yeah, overall, I don't have the ability to criticize the Rays for any sort of pickup because they know better than me. I have no doubts about that. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they see something that they like when it comes to Corey Kluber, and I can't knock them for that because he did look very good in certain outings for the Yankees. Other outings, not as good. Um, of course, with the, when it comes to the Yankees, it's hard for me to evaluate their pitchers because their ballpark is so tricky sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, the Rays saw something that they liked and uh, good for them. Eight, for Kluber to get eight million after just this eight, 80 innings pitch season, it seems like a good amount. Like getting eight million, like that's a solid deal for, I guess this guy who I thought, it, I mean his best games are definitely behind him, but I guess the Rays say this guy still has some more ahead of him that still could be good. So good for them, I guess. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I think the big thing for me is you know like like you said, what are the what are the Rays really got cooking? Um, and great point that you brought up. Maybe they get him down to a very good ERA, and hey. He could be a very nice trade piece come, you know, July, and they'll just get in return maybe some other, you know, suspiciously interesting prospects that will be, you know, all-stars in a year or two. So it's just kind of how the Rays do things. You really got to figure out what what are they really up to. But that really kind of concludes all of the big acquisitions, Alex, that really happened this week. Um, I guess with kind of talking about what's going to happen in the the next couple days and by our next podcast recording next week, um, I think the CBA is finally expiring December 1st. So yeah. it'll get interesting now as we kind of start getting into the the legal technical stuff of the MLB where there's going to be a new bargaining agreement coming forth. Um, some big names already on, you know, Twitter and social media have already been have already been, you know, saying they want to have a deal in place before December 1st, which is Wednesday. So we could see guys like Kevin Gosman and Max Scherzer possibly off the market onto their new homes um the next couple of days could get really exciting for you know what the what the offseason really holds uh anything you want to add with that yeah Travis, i just want to briefly before we wrap up 
throw out some a few a few names that have had like their their market for these uh, pitchers and position players. The markets have kind of shifted in the last couple of weeks because a couple of weeks ago we gave our predictions for like all the top free agents, but we've gained a lot of info the last couple of weeks, we last have. couple last couple of days. Where do these guys want to play? What teams are in on these guys? So I'm gonna throw out a couple of names. We'll have a brief one or two minutes on a few of these guys, kind of saying, okay. Um, what is their market looking like right now? So, Travis, first off, first off, we'll go to Scherzer, mm-hmm. a pitcher who has been pretty much at the top of everyone's list um, because of what he did last year, what he's done year after year, mm-hmm. the last few seasons. So, Scherzer, Travis, um, just today, people were reporting Angels, Dodgers are the two teams that are in constant kind of negotiation with him. Don't don't hurt us again. Uh. And, and what I'll say, <laughs> Travis, is I think the Dodgers are – not a lock, but I think they're almost a lock just because he wanted to come to L.A. for the uh, trade. He said, send, yeah. me, send me to a SoCal team. Padres were in. Dodgers were, were in. Um, Angels were not really in, but um, yeah. we probably had our, our little hopes and dreams. And but We don't want to trade up all the all the prospects we got for that. But, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And so in terms of this free agency deal, Angels are definitely on the table, but I don't see them – giving that AAV that the Dodgers will. Dodgers are going to shell out probably more money. Um, the Mets are also reported to say that they will pay him uh, some crazy AAV, but um, they, they said that they know that uh, Scherzer is leading uh, West Coast. So yeah. I guess what are your thoughts on that, Travis, the Scherzer yeah, market right now? It really got me thinking with him in the him on the Mets and a DeGrom Scherzer one-two punch would just be kind of a unfair It'd be wild. and it would just be insane right there I mean that would be honestly something really insane to watch I actually wouldn't be upset if that happened I'd be more upset of course if he went to the Dodgers uh than if he went to the Mets but um we'll have to see I mean I mean I know that the Angels so far have kind of stunned us with what they've been doing this offseason I know That's they true. said that pitching is their priority and I think even Perry, the GM, said, we are willing to spend whatever it takes to win. And so maybe this is them saying, you know what? We haven't made a big pitching acquisition since CJ Wilson in you know 2011. So maybe it's time to go out there and get the big name on the market. I mean, a Scherzer, Syndergaard, Otani, one, two, three would be awesome. I mean, would that special, would yeah. be awesome to see. And, you know, if we give them, you know, two, three years, we'll see what happens there. Um you know, it, it just it'll be really interesting to see. But I, I, you know, like I said, I think it's it's very promising that he'll probably be a Dodger just because it just everything makes the most sense. If you want to win right now, you could probably go to the Dodge. You know, you'll go to the Dodgers. If you want the money, you can go to the Dodgers. If you want to be on the West Coast, the Dodgers. It's kind of just like they have all the check. They they check all the boxes off the list. So, um, yeah, it, it should be interesting coming the next couple of days. Fingers crossed. Of course, also if that doesn't happen, there are a lot of other names that I'm very happy to get for you know less money who of course who are younger and of course could be more effective in the, in the second or third year of their contract rather than Scherzer we'll find out but yeah yeah good point good point I think the only real draw the Angels have or I guess one of the their big draws is Syndergaard said it himself it would be cool to help Mike Trout be successful in the playoffs exactly everyone knows he's like an all-time great kind mm-hmm. of player if you can get Trout and Otani to the playoffs um, that's just like you will get to the credit as a pitcher exactly for being good on the Angels. But. And, and and maybe maybe Rendon is 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 offering some you know uh, insight to Scherzer, saying, hey, you know, this is what we have over here, and you know, we were on the on the championship team together. We both have rings. Um, you can get 
you can get great money here and also really kind of, you know, maybe be a part of, you know, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani's primes and their dynasties. I feel like right now the Angels owe so much to Mike Trout and Shohei Otani because I feel like they're just the main building blocks to yeah, free agents. Like they're the pool. Do you want to play with them? And, and you heard you heard Syndergaard. I want to play with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Like they're studs. I mean, they're they're unbelievable. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, with that in mind, we'll move on, Travis, to uh, Carlos Correa really briefly. Um, I think a couple weeks ago, everyone was saying Detroit made a lot of sense. I still think Detroit makes a lot of sense because of the A.J. Hinge connection. But um, as time has gone on, I keep seeing these tweets from different reporters saying that Detroit really does not want to go above $300 million for a shortstop. They say that's kind of like a, a threshold. They don't want to exceed. Um People are saying maybe bias makes more sense for them now or, or they could go a different direction with a story or something like that. So with that in mind, Travis, um, if it's not going to be Detroit, it still could be Detroit, but if it's not going to be Detroit, where do you see Correa going? What is your thought right now in his current market? Yeah, I mean, the Yankees are another team that has the money to spend and so do the Dodgers, but right. it would just be so funny to have him go to the Dodgers because oh, I, don't I, think I, I, I just good. don't even... I don't even know what like the the fans would just be like. We have to cheer for this guy, but we like we hate this guy just as much as just as much as Altuve. So interesting if he went there, um, and then the Yankees. I feel like the Yankees are just like we'll, we booed for him last year, but hey, we'll cheer for him now. We'll cheer for you now, but it's just kind of like it's kind of like hypocrites and, and all that stuff. But um, it, it is interesting because I did see Javier Baez saw had a lot of you know he was linked to a lot of the Detroit Tigers. You know, could be a great guy to have. I feel like he'd literally just be another Jose Iglesias for them because you know <laughs> if he doesn't return back to I guess that second half Mets form, Javier Baez is kind of just a yeah you know whatever kind of shortstop. But yeah, I mean honestly, it, it it's interesting. Maybe maybe someone even like the Mets might have something. I feel like the Mets have some money. I feel like that. I'm, I'm sorry, not the Mets. I'm, I meant the Miami Marlins. I feel like the Marlins right. have some money that they've been saving up and that they're kind of just that team that could explode like that in one off season and just have a huge um, acquisitions with trades and also with uh, free agents. So Correa's market, I feel like is kind of getting, you know, a little bit slimmer. I, I thought the angels were definitely heavily involved, but I think that they have made it clear. They are only in on pitching and that's all that they want to focus on right now. So, uh, Correa's market could get a little bit slimmer and slimmer and slimmer as it goes on. So we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting. The Marlins do make sense um, because getting a top level shortstop could be great for their young up and comers. Um, their GM Kim Ang, I know she's been very vocal about they want to add, they want to add. Um, I know outfielders have been their target, but if they went and got a shortstop, I would not be surprised. The funniest thing is, Travis, of course, a couple weeks ago, Correa had the comment about Jeter not deserving his gold gloves. And the two teams that might be very well in on him are the Yankees, which is Jeter's team. <laughs> and then the team that Jeter partially owns in the Marlins, which is just, it's just so funny how that could possibly that is, work out. He, but. That, you know, that, that's a great point because Jeter, he commented and he was just kind of like, I don't know what to say. Um, I played, you know, six, seven years ago. So I really don't know what to say, but that's really interesting. You bring up is that, you know, these players open their mouth like this and it's just kind of like, oh God, it just, it, it will create some more problems where it's just like, I, I, I don't really know even know how that even got brought up, but you know, it, it's, it's just I, funny I th- how I it, think, I think the interview was done in Spanish. And I so see. even Jeter said himself, like, I don't know how my name came up, but I saw the quote that everyone was putting in the media at the end of the day, you know, it's not like a honestly, it's not a crazy, crazy take if you like look at the advanced stats, I guess. But at the end of the day, Travis, it was probably a little bit uncalled for. Cray probably trying to make some headlines. And yeah. uh, at the end of the day, 
I don't think the comment's going to affect this market that much, but it mm -hmm. is interesting. I do agree. It could be slimming a bit if Detroit says that's too much money for us, if the Angels are out. Dodgers, I think I heard a rumor that they only want, if they're going to sign a midland fielder, Seager. it'll yeah. be Seager. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, with all that in mind, Travis, Correa, not sure what the most logical fit is. Maybe a team like Phillies want to give up big money, you know. There are other teams who need a shortstop, but the market could be slimming a little bit. Travis, a couple, just a couple more here. Uh, Gosman is someone who we think will sign in the next couple of days before the lockout begins. The Mets have been linked to him. The Angels have been linked to him. The Seattle Mariners have been linked to him. Even the Giants. I've heard the Giants don't want to give him as much length, but will give him a bit more AAV. Plus, staying with the team that gave you success these last two seasons does make sense as well. What do you see as the current market for Gosman? Um, what do you think makes sense, at least on paper? Yeah, and I even heard this morning, too, that the uh, Blue Jays are sure. highly in favor for Gosman. I think that they have the money to give for the long terms. I know they got, you know, Jose Barrios on a seven-year extension, so maybe they want to go out and get a Gosman like him for uh, five years, four years, something like that. Uh, you know, it, it's a tough one. I mean, pitching is always kind of tough because I feel like the Mets are definitely a team that's in on it. The Angels are, too. Um it's you know I I don't I don't really know I mean I think right now I think the it, it comes I think honestly it comes down to Mets Angels and Blue Jays I think those are the three teams in my opinion that are going to be the main front runners for Gosman but we'll we'll find out I mean if Angels go out there and get Scherzer they're not going to get Gosman I mean so it's kind of just like it just it, it's wherever the dominoes fall is where other pieces right. will start to pick up so it's kind of funny that there's a bunch there's all these pitchers waiting for these big you know these big dominoes to fall and then they're just going to come in and say okay you sign this guy we're going to go over here for this guy we're going to try to aim for that market so they're just sitting back waiting like a rodan market maybe honestly even now like a stroman market they're just waiting sitting back 100 gonna see what happens but i'll say blue jays mets and angels i think are the top three for gosman that makes a lot of sense the way you describe the, the, the dominoes falling because i mean we see it every year travis a couple of pieces fall and then everyone kind of scrambles for the scraps exactly or whatever's left and they, they want to see what kind of deals they got right you see the deals you see how much money these guys are getting it lets pitchers know okay that guy's getting that amount i deserve this amount um um with that in mind briefly on stroman uh another guy whose market is kind of always changing angels have been linked to him Rumors are the Mets have been really looking at Ray and Scherzer and Gosman and not so much Stroman. The Cardinals are linked to Stroman a bunch. Um, I think that makes sense. I think if they added Stroman and Mats, like they, they already have Mats, of course, add like maybe a shortstop to their team or maybe one more pitcher, um, that'd be a really good offseason for them. Um, I can't imagine it, uh, Andrews and Simmons playing short. That defense for that team would just oh, be that, well, stupid. Be, that would be something. <laughs> that would be, be pretty indescribable. Um, last guy we'll talk about, Travis, Chris Bryant is a guy who at first we said okay maybe the giants make sense because he had a pretty solid second half for them um was a viable piece played multiple positions for them in the playoffs i think he played five or six positions for them in the playoffs um but recently i've heard things that you know maybe they don't really uh, want to pay big money for a guy like that yeah. mm -hmm. um who's already getting a little bit up there in age not not too high but um, no longer a youngster and then uh, another thought we always had was Mets. Mets had made yeah. a lot of sense from the day one. They just added a guy who plays uh, third base, and you know, which is his primary position. Um, and they also added an outfielder, which was also one of uh, uh, Bryant's main positions. So I'm really not sure if the Mets still pursue him. If they do, they probably would have to trade some other guys away. So where do you see his market at right now? I could see a Brewers making sense. Um, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure. 
what teams are the right fit for him though um any any thoughts coming to mind on that just yeah kind of brief I, I think i think the brewers need him like they need oxygen i think that that makes just too much sense they need a third baseman they need a first baseman they need an outfielder possibly with uh Avisil garcia leaving um and plus, it's only about 70 miles north of Chicago. So he knows that area. He could possibly even still live in maybe Chicago or wherever he lived in Chicago. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it just it it makes too much sense that they both those mark both those teams and, uh, you know, both those parties link up and try to find a deal because I mean, I think Bryant would love to have that pitching to help benefit him. And I think the Brewers and the pitching staff would love to have that as an offensive piece to help them with their um, with their you know hitting. And so I think both of those guys just make too much sense. I think we even said it in our predictions, like even with Castellanos, um, you know, they need to go out there and find a bat to help with that pitching yeah, staff. Probably a few bats. Yeah. Exactly. Because it, it's, it's almost like the, 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 the team is right there it's ready to go i mean they won a division they won 95 games with that hitting if they can add bigger and better bats i mean you look at a postseason run that is very you know well determined to happen so i just think it it almost has to happen right there yeah Yeah, i love the idea of them adding a big righty and a big lefty so brian of course is the big righty who will he'll match against lefties and they could go out there and try to get like a schorber if they add a dh position even rizzo i mean rizzo's out in the market too and they could add two guys from chicago that are going to be playing you know same kind of geographic area in the united states 70 miles about north of chicago right there in milwaukee that'd be i feel like that'd be a slap in the face the cubs just saying we got your two like um, not two franchise guys but we got two of your guys that were very influential in the world series championship now playing for the rival brewers up north so uh that'd be really cool if they can go out and get those guys that'd be very special i think for that lineup um to play along with you know like willie adamas so uh yeah fingers crossed i hope the brewers can get some offense this offseason so yeah i totally agree that pretty much wraps up that whole section travis um overall next couple days is going to be huge for free agency i assure you guys when we do this podcast next week there will have been some deals before december 1st and then the lockout will probably begin don't know how long that's going to last but um we will figure out ways to keep things interesting for you guys the next few weeks uh during the lockout have some stuff lined up uh we'll we'll cover that all next week so if you guys uh thanks for making it this far if you enjoyed please go ahead and uh you know like subscribe uh follow us on on uh, spotify or whatever it may be um and thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>